We have been doing a series on identity, and we have looked at a lot of different things. And we will, and there, believe me, there are other things that I really wanted to talk about, and I thought, you know what, we got to have a stopping point for this series somewhere. And so we're going, this is going to be the last one for this series. Uh, maybe we'll take up some of those other things in another series later on. But for today, I just, I felt like we needed to end with this one because um, all the things that we've talked about from being created in the image of God to being adopted into his family all of those things are important and foundational but we need to have a hope to which we fix our eyes if we're going to continue to live as followers of Christ and that's what we're going to talk about today so if you like to turn in a Bible and read along you can turn in your own Bible to uh, Romans 8 but if you would prefer to look at the screen, you can do that as well. The passage is on the screen. It's Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. This is what God has to say from his word. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. As always, it is light to us. It is a lamp to our feet. It is truest truth. It is uh, full of your promises that are all yes and amen in Christ. And as we read this passage today, give us a vision of our future, of where you are taking us, so that we will live in light of that. And we pray this Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What do you want to be when you grow up? I was asked that question a lot as a, as a child. And what's funny to me today as I think about that question is my answers were usually all over the place. And when I say all over the place, I mean all over the place. Because at first I wanted to be an astronaut. And then I realized that there was a little risk for being an astronaut. So I decided to change my career dream to being an astronomer. And, uh, but then a guy from a local radio station came by and I changed from, and he asked the question to all our class, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for some reason, I still can't figure out what was going on in my head that day. Instead of saying astronomer, I said mechanic. And so I said, well, I said it on the radio, so now I have to live up to that. And so I tried, to be a I tried thinking about being a mechanic, and then one day, I don't know, again, I don't understand where, where this came from, but uh, there was a stage when I wanted to be a biochemist, which is really funny if you look at my science grades in college. And, and then I had a teacher who told me that I should be a lawyer because I could argue about anything. 
So I decided to be a lawyer for a while. And then I went through a short stint where I wanted to be a computer programmer because somebody told me that they made lots of money. And at that stage, I wanted to make lots of money. But then I had an off and on idea all my life, really, with uh, wanting to be an author, wanting to be a novelist and create the next great American novel, which, of course, will never happen because I don't have that kind of um, uh, tenacity to stay with actually writing a whole novel, maybe a short story if it's 10 pages or less. But then, and those of you who have been here before, you know, you know what my big dream was. I wanted to be a rock star. And so me and some guys from school, we had a band and we tried real hard. And uh, one guy quit and we all got married and I should have known we'd never get far. So that's when I started thinking about becoming a college professor because college professors and rock stars are so, they have so much in common, right? And I mean, you think about that and it's erratic and it's disjointed and it doesn't make any sense. But one thing about all of that is true. In each case, the more I thought about what I wanted to be, the more I started to change. The more I thought about who I wanted to be, the more I started to change. I changed the way I thought. I changed the way I spoke. I changed the way I behaved. When I wanted to be an astronomer, I read books about the universe and I looked at the stars. When I wanted to be a lawyer, I literally did this. I practiced arguing cases in my room. I literally did that. Uh, when I wanted to be a rock star, I practiced guitar and I grew my hair out long. There are pictures, Sean Matthews, I believe, has one to show what it was really like. Um, and then when I wanted to be a college professor, I read academic books and I eventually went to graduate school. So knowing what I wanted to be in the future changed the trajectory, the direction of the way I lived. And that's true for all of us. And what's interesting is there is a, a movement in psychology right now that is investigating how our view of our future selves affect the way we live today. Um, in fact, in the Harvard Business Review, I know all of you read the Harvard Business Review, but in the Harvard Business Review, Benjamin Hardy wrote this, and here's a quote. He says, your identity narrative is the story you tell about yourself, past, present, and future. If your identity is rooted in your past and present alone, that fixed mindset can make personality feel permanent. But if you focus on envisioning your future self instead of fixating on your current self, it becomes possible to change your identity narrative. And honestly, that's what we're going to talk about today. Not allowing our past to rule us, not even allowing our present to rule us, but looking to the future and saying our future, where we're headed, that's going to shape who I am today. Because you see, and here's your first point, our destiny significantly shapes our identity. Our destiny, where we're headed, our future, it significantly shapes our identity. 
Now, if you may, if you are a self-help person and you like self-help gurus, you probably heard the, the exact opposite of that, that our, our identity helps shape our destiny. You know, our character, the way we live today, shapes the way we will be in the future, and obviously that's true. But the point that I want to make today is that the, the flip side of that is also true, that our destiny shapes our identity. In fact, in an interview with uh, Daryl Bach, Klein Snodgrass talks about the summoning self. The summoning self is that self that is not you right now, but the you you want to be one day. The you that's saying, be like me. And so Klein Klein Snodgrass says this. Here's the quote. The summoning self, that self that is out in front of us, calling us to be what we're supposed to be, we're not there yet, but it's calling us That's exactly what the New Testament is trying to do, is to function as a summoning self and say, here, come on, this is what you're supposed to be. You ever read the scriptures that way? To see it as a summoning self, as as the scriptures actually say, this is who you will be, so start acting like that today. Think about Jesus, for example, when he calls his first disciples, and he says in Mark 1, uh, 1, 17, Jesus says to his disciples, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, right? They weren't fishers of men at that point, they were fishermen. They fished for fish. But he says, if you follow me, you will become fishers of men. You will go out into the world and you will bring people into the kingdom. And that's exactly what they became. Or think about when Jesus, after he had died and resurrected and he was getting ready to ascend into heaven in Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now I can imagine that some of those disciples standing there that day were thinking, I'm not going to Samaria. I'm not going outside of Jerusalem. I'm going to stay right where I am. Interestingly enough, the Holy Spirit came on them power, changed the trajectory of how they lived, so did persecution, (laughs) and then they scattered. And what Jesus said of them, this is who you will be, that came to be a reality. That's what we're talking about today. What Jesus says, what God says about our destiny, where we're headed, who we're going to be, that significantly shapes our identity. And I want all of you to hear this very clearly. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a specific destiny. And you know what that destiny is? Our destiny as followers of Christ is to become like Jesus. That's your destiny if you're a follower of Jesus. Our destiny as followers of Christ is to become like Jesus. So let's take a look at Romans 8, that passage that I read earlier from the pulpit, and we'll see how that plays out. First of all, the famous verse, 
that if you're a Christian, you've probably quoted this to yourself or to someone else at some point in your life. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We love this verse. It's it's one of our favorites. Why? Because life is hard. Life is difficult. Lots of bad stuff happens in this life. Right? Amen to that. Yeah, we lots of bad stuff happens. And so when we read in the scriptures and we hear this promise, look, no matter what comes your way, God is going to work it for good. Man, we want to grab hold of that and hold on to it for dear life, don't we? But have you ever asked the question, how is God going to work this for my good? Specifically, what is the good? that God is working all things toward. What is it? What is his purpose? If he has a good purpose for me going through all of this pain and problem and difficulty, what is it that he's going to do in that for my good? Well, he answers that in the next verse. In verse 29. And here's what he says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Let me read that verse again. For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, God has a plan for you as a follower of Jesus. And his plan is that you will be conformed to the image of Jesus. That you will be made like Jesus. And notice the strong language that Paul uses in this passage. He doesn't say, for those God foreknew, he also thought it might be a good idea if maybe someday they could possibly become like images of Jesus. You know, maybe. That's not what it says, is it? It's, it's the P word, right? That word that we all do not like if we're uh, not Presbyterian and Calvinistic. Predestination. Now, if you're a visitor here and you think, gosh, that's what Presbyterians, all they talk about is predestination. Honestly, this is the first time I've mentioned it in a long time. But yeah, we are going to talk about it today because here it is in the passage. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined them to become conformed to the image of his Son. And and this is where, I get it, I get it. The word predestination is scary. It makes you think about, well, he's choosing some people and not choosing others. Oh, that sounds so horrible. 
All of us, well, not all of us, some of you guys have never had this experience, but some of us had have had the experience of being in school and you're playing kickball and they're choosing which side you want to be on and you're the very last person to be picked and the only reason you're being picked is because the teacher's making them pick you. Some of us have had that experience. And so we think, oh, I hate this idea of being chosen, but you've got to see for which you are predestined. What the goal is, is to make you like Jesus. And if you were a follower of Christ, what he's saying is, you are destined to be made like Jesus. That's who you are going to be. That's the trajectory of your life. Being conformed to Jesus in this passage is about being like him. Now, that definitely includes resurrection. And, and again, this is one of those things that I go to a lot of funerals as a pastor, and some of the funerals I preside over and I say words, and, and some I don't. And I'm not trying to be prideful in saying this. I'm really not. But there are some that I've gone to where I've heard other people speak, and I've thought, man, that is some messed up the theology that they are espousing. They're saying things that aren't really true because they've got a false view of what happens after death. I mean, so many of us, we talk about, oh, I'll fly away, oh, glory, one day. And we just think the body stays here and the spirit goes up to heaven, the end, end of story. That's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures talk about this beautiful, wonderful, amazing reversal of the curse, where it's... You were made to be body and soul. You were made to be together. You were not made to be separate. So death is something that is unnatural to the way you were created to be. And God reverses that curse and brings you back together in a body that will never die again. In a body that is not subject to pain and death in a body that will never grow old. Now, some of us are at the stage where our bodies are already starting to get a little bit old, and some of us are at the stage where our bodies have gotten a whole lot old. And if you're in that stage, you're like, yes, amen to that. For all you younger folks, you just wait. You just wait. But yeah, I mean, that is a beautiful picture of that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That's what the phrase in this passage says is in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The way he's the firstborn is that he's the first one to rise from the dead with a resurrection body that will never die again. And since he is the firstborn among many brothers in this resurrection family, the implication is that we too will have a resurrection body just like his. And it will never die. And it will never be succumb to pain. And it will never again be subject to sin. That is beautiful. But being conformed to Jesus also includes an inner change. It's not just the outside. It's not just the body that changes. It's something on the inside that changes too. Like 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, 
so we do not lose heart. Why do we not lose heart? Because though our outer self is wasting away, and for some of us, our outer self is wasting away faster than others, but you know, we're all wasting away at some rate. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. God is using the things of this life, the things in this world, to mold us and shape us into something different. And what is that something different? It's being like Jesus. So the next time you go through a trial, remind yourself, God is working this for my good. And what is that good? It's to make me like Jesus. It's to make me like Jesus. That's my destiny. And then Paul goes on in verse 30. Again, this just cements everything. And he says, okay, those whom he predestined to be like Jesus, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. He made right with God. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I've said this before, I think, from this very spot. But when I look out at you and you look out at me, I don't see a whole lot of glory. And you don't see a whole lot of glory. I mean, I have been working on my six-pack. Actually, it's more like a two-liter. But still, there's not a lot of glory there. I, I, what we see, we see the ravages of sin in our lives, both in our body and in our soul. We see the results of sin in our lives. And yet, Paul says in this passage that just as it has been predestined that you will be like Jesus, you were called, you were made right with God, and you are glorified. It is such a done deal. It is such a certainty. It is such an accomplished fact. It is such an irreversible reality. It is such an undeniable fact that becoming like Christ is inevitable. It will happen because you are already connected to Jesus. And he will make it happen. He who began a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. It is a done deal. And so you can say, you're as good as glorified, even though it hasn't happened yet. Isn't that awesome? Man, when I look in the mirror, I tell you, I really want to see some glory there. And I don't. But one day, what I'll see is a reflection of Jesus staring back at me. That is a beautiful truth that we see in this passage. And that shapes the way we live today. Because, and I know it's hard to understand. What, okay, so I'm going to be like Jesus. What does that really mean? Okay, I'm going to have a resurrection body. What does that really mean? Okay, I'm going to be renewed on the inside. What does that really mean? I don't understand it all. But believe me, I don't understand it all either. I, I, I can't. There is an incomprehensibility about it because we're talking about something that is so beyond our nature to even understand. It's, we can't do it yet. We're not there yet. But while this destiny may be beyond our full comprehension, and it is, 
This destiny may be beyond our full comprehension. It sets the direction for how we live today. The destiny of being like Christ might be beyond our full comprehension, but it sets the direction of how we live today. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture to remind yourself of this truth. For example, Romans 8, 16 through 18. Romans 8, 16 through 18. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. All right, let me parse that. The destiny that we have in Christ, it's beyond our full comprehension. Yeah, we don't understand it all. What does it mean to be an heir with Christ? Christ inherits everything. Therefore, I inherit everything. You inherit everything. Well, what does that look like? I don't know. but it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And not awesome in the way that we have word inflation today. I mean, it's going to be truly awesome. So how does that change the way I live today? Notice what Paul says in this passage. He says that we're heirs and we're going to be glorified, but we're also going to have to face suffering. We're going to have to face pain and difficulty. We're going to have to face those days where we may not even want to get out of, up out of bed. But Paul says, because of that picture of our destiny that's in front of us, verse 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to what awaits us, to the glory that's going to be revealed. So knowing our destiny changes the way we walk through life, the direction that we take. Again, another passage. Um, four, uh, this is 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. And I love how Paul puts this. Because he's talking about being persecuted. And here's a guy who he's stoned. He had been whipped. He had been run out of town several times. And then he calls that this light momentary affliction. But here's what he says, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Do you hear what he's saying? I don't understand what that's really going to be. It's beyond my full comprehension. But it's a light momentary affliction versus the weight of glory. It's like a feather, you know, versus a gigantic million-ton boulder is what he's trying to say, the difference between the two. And so he says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So this is beyond our comprehension, but it sets the direction for how we live. It's a willingness 
to trust God even when things don't seem to be going well. Anybody ever had to do that? Even in the last, you know, 18 months? <laughs> to trust God, to live by faith, to, to not just look at the things that you can see, but to recognize that God is always working behind the scenes to bring about good for His children. Always. Okay, got another one. I can't help myself. I got I to tell you about this because this is just such good news. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He says, but as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. It's beyond our comprehension. We can't really grasp just how amazing it's going to be. How does that change my trajectory in this life? How does that uh, work in the direction of my life? What it does is it says, you know what, I'm living in this present evil age, and, and this life really stinks sometimes. It really does. And I think we can admit that. We can say life stinks, and yet, what is waiting for me? Where I'm headed, there will be no stinky. No stinkiness there. It's going to just be the sweet smelling aroma of Jesus. Everywhere I look, everywhere I go, even when I look in the mirror, it's going to be reflected back to me. Jesus will be all in all. That, Christian, is our destiny. That follower of Jesus is who you are not only called to be, it is who God is going to make you to be one day. So what do we do with that? Here are a couple of action points for you. First, celebrate. I love to tell Presbyterians to celebrate. Because we really do have a, we do really have a reputation of being the frozen chosen. But if anybody in the entire universe should be excited, it should be us. Because we're the ones who say, God, even though I was dead in my sin, He made me alive. God, even though I was a, a child of wrath, He adopted me into His family. That God, even though I was a sinner and I was a rebel and I was an enemy, He showed me His love by Christ dying for me on the cross, taking all of my sin upon himself, taking the curse upon himself, and then giving me life, giving me righteousness, and giving me this destiny that I have. So let's celebrate that destiny, Presbyterians. Let's celebrate it. Let's sing like we've never sung before. Let's enjoy what God has given to us. Let's talk about it. You know, 
When I go to a new restaurant, and I, I know I've used this illustration before, but it just it, it lands in so many ways. When I go to a new restaurant and I find that perfect burger, mm, I mean, you know, juicy, like it's got, it's got everything you want in a burger. And I know different people like different things on their burgers, but you, you just imagine whatever the burger you like, even if it's one of those like, you know, unnatural um, meatless burgers, I mean, that, that's for my daughter, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah, even if it's one of those, I mean, you know what you like. And when you find a restaurant that's like that, don't you go and tell people? How much more should we, who we have, a destiny in Christ that can be shared with other people, how much more shouldn't we just go around and saying, you won't believe what my God has done for me. You won't believe what Jesus has for those who believe in him. And, and we can celebrate it. We can say, look, if you were in Christ, you will one day be like him. If you were in Christ, you will share in his glory. If you are in Christ, you too will have a resurrection body like His. If you are in Christ, you too will overcome sin and death. If you are in Christ, you will be a co-heir with Him in an inheritance that will never perish. It will never spoil. It will never fade. If you are in Christ, then your true home is a new heaven and a new earth in which sickness, sorrow, pain, and death will be felt and feared no more. If you are in Christ, you cannot imagine how beautiful, how wonderful, how marvelous, how breathtakingly, mind-bogglingly, fantastic and fabulous your destiny really is. And yet it's yours. Not because of anything you did, but because God so loved you. He sent His Son for you and gave you that destiny. All right, so that's first, celebrate. And second, practice becoming what you're destined to be. Practice becoming what you're destined to be. I started this sermon with the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you're a, a child and you're thinking about that, and like, maybe you say, oh, I want to be a doctor. Well, there are certain things that you have to do to in, in, in order to be a doctor. You have, you have pretty good grades in school, right? Got to go to college, got to go to med school, got to do a residency. And then you finally get to be a doctor. It's a long haul, right? And so you have to start thinking, okay, if that's where I'm going to be one day, then this is the trajectory of my life. You can't just say, oh, I want to be a doctor and then not go to college. At least not in America. Maybe you could be a witch doctor somewhere. <laughs> but you can't be a doctor in America without those credentials. So you, you start a trajectory and you have to start moving in that direction. You start to practice what you know 
you're going to become. It's like me in my, in my bedroom as a teenager practicing how I would argue a case as a lawyer because I knew if that's what I'm going to be one day, which thankfully I did not become one, I need to practice. If we know our destiny is to be like Jesus, why wouldn't we practice being like Jesus today? Why, why wouldn't we want to grow in that? Why wouldn't we, when we see sin in our lives, say, that's not Jesus. That's not what I want. I want to kill that, and I want to live in a way that shows Jesus. Right? If I know that Jesus is full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, wouldn't I want those things to abound in me? And when I see they're not abounding, wouldn't I go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, this is your fruit. I need you to produce that in me. I want to practice becoming what I'm destined to be. So yet, celebrate what you have and practice becoming what you're destined to be. I don't know about you, but if somebody asked me today, what do you want to be when you grow up? And believe me, sometimes I think I'm not yet grown up. My answer wouldn't be an astronomer. <laughs> My answer would not be a rock star. Um, my answer wouldn't even be pastor. From the bottom of my heart, my answer would be, I want to be like Jesus. I really want to be like Jesus. And I hate how I'm not like Jesus. And I, but I just want to be like him because he is so amazingly wonderful. And that's my destiny. So bring it, God. <laughs> bring whatever it is that will make me to be like Jesus, because that's who I want to be when I grow up. So, folks, let's rejoice in the destiny we have in Christ. Let's rejoice in that destiny, and let's let that destiny shape the way we act, the way we speak, and the way we think. Let me pray for us that we'll grow up into that. Father, Thank you for this destiny that you've given to us in Christ. It is mind-boggling. It is beyond my full comprehension, and yet it just seems so amazing and wonderful that I, I just I want to dive in. And I pray that all the people here would want to dive in too, that they would want to be more like Christ, and that they would let that destiny that you've given to them shape them and mold them. And I know that there may be people here who are not your followers yet. Would you draw them to yourself? Show them the beauty of Christ. Show them the wonder and the, 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 the marvelous nature of who he is, that they would see his beauty and want to be more like him, and that they would believe in him, that they too would have this destiny. And in all these things, will you continue to grow us up to be more like Christ? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.